Welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. Caught. My attention was caught and drawn over to the house there. You know, there's a little house there. It's actually an early learning centre, our jump early, early learning centre. And there was a little boy running along the inside of the fence, running as fast as he could. And he was screaming from the top of his lungs, Daddy, 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 my daddy's here, my daddy's here. There were no other cars in the car park, just one had pulled up. And this fellow was getting out, and and I presume that was Dad. And and the little boy probably knew, he must have been four, three or four, he probably knew that Dad had to walk all the way around to come and pick him up. So he wasn't running towards Dad, he was just running along the fence, screaming out to anybody and everybody who would listen, Daddy, 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 my Daddy's here, my Daddy's here. And I thought, what a beautiful picture of fatherhood. Let's pray as we open this morning. Father, you are the architect and epitome of fatherhood, and that's what we're celebrating today. Would you teach us, help us to learn more about you as a father and about fatherhood, that we too might, with unbridled enthusiasm, come to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I don't know what emotion Father brings up for you this morning. I suspect in a congregation of our sides, there'll be quite a range. For some of us, today's an exciting day. Father is a great concept. For some of us, today might be a difficult day or a painful day. There'll be a range of emotions. And it might depend on whether you are immediately thinking of Father in an earthly context or in a heavenly context. Now, we're in church, so it's probably more natural that we're thinking a little bit about Heavenly Father. But if we think about an earthly father, then there might be some things that are skewed. In fact, all earthly fathers are a bit skewed. So this morning, what we're actually going to do is start off talking about God the Father. And in the Bible, he is referred to as Father by Jesus, uh, by Paul in Ephesians, all throughout the Bible, in the Old Testament as well, Isaiah and the Psalmist, a number of places he's referred to as God the Father. So we, we think about him as Father. So we're going to explore a father's heart this morning and look at what characteristics we can learn about fatherhood from God. We're going to do that through two stories. And uh, Helen read the story this morning for us from Genesis. That's our first story. The story of Adam and Eve, it's actually a really serious story. Uh, And there are lots of things you can pull out of it. I think Brian and Dave touched on it this morning. Already, There are lots of messages. But the one I want to draw out this morning is around what do we learn about God as a father from that story? And to help us do that a little bit, I want to read you a slightly different version of that story. So just bear with me. I think it will help us uh, learn a little bit more about this story. Genesis chapter 3, 8 to 24, the modern parable Bible. Then the two children heard the sound of their father walking into the living room, and they hid among the table and chairs. But the father called out to the children, where are you? They answered, we heard you coming to the living room, and we were afraid because we were expecting higher dental bills, so we hid. And he said, who told you there would be higher dental bills? Have you eaten from the lint Lindor box from which I asked you not to eat? Then the oldest child said, it was her fault. 
And the younger child said, Dolly made me do it and I ate the Lindors. So the father said, from now on, there will be consequences. Dolly, you will be taken away from the children. Children, you will have to earn your pocket money by the sweat of your brow and doing painful chores. And then the father gently helped the children clean their teeth. And he said, the children have become like us. They eat Lindor chocolates whenever they want. They must not be allowed to reach out their hands and eat the ice cream. So the father banished the children from the garage freezer and he placed a lock on that freezer containing the ice cream. Slightly trivial, slightly, hopefully a little bit funny. The point is, this story, very serious story in Genesis 3, we can look at through our, kind of our, our own eyes about this is a father interacting with his kids. So what do we learn from it? The first thing I think we learn from the Genesis 3 story is this, that a father's heart is generous. Because the premise at the start of the Genesis 3 story is that God gave everything. He said, here are the animals. Here are the plants. Here's the whole world to be a steward of. Please don't eat from that tree over there. But this is all yours. More than the stuff God gave, though. God was generous with two other things. Relationship and freedom. It seems to me when we read verse 8 in chapter 3 of Genesis, it says the Lord was walking in in the garden in the cool of the day. I get this picture that the norm was that God just came in and he was walking in to say hello to the kids. And I even imagine that the norm before this day was that as God started walking, they weren't hiding. They were saying, Daddy, 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 my Daddy's here, my Daddy's here. God offers relationship. That's his generous heart, relationship with the creator of the universe. And the freedom part, this is what struck me as I was looking and studying this passage. God gave freedom, not only here's all the things that I'm giving you. When he said, don't eat from that one, he gave freedom to eat from that one. He actually gave freedom to eat from the tree. And and. The reason that's amazing is because God knew that giving that freedom would cost him. The generosity of the father's heart was, I'm going to give you freedom. And in God's perfect knowledge, he knew what was going to happen. He knew that ultimately it would cost him sacrificing his own son. A father's heart is generous. A father's heart's protective. Now, maybe this sounds a little contradictory here, but but it isn't. A father's heart is protective. That's the second thing I think we can draw out here. He gives clear instructions, very clear instructions. You can have all of this, please don't eat from that tree. Don't eat that tree. There's lots of stuff in the pantry, but don't eat the Lindor chocolates, please. God puts things in place, boundaries in place for the good of the child, I remember as a kid, I was, I was a little bit inquisitive, and uh, one day I went to the train station with Dad. I must have been seven or eight or something. And uh, Dad said, don't go too close to the edge of the platform. No, Dad. Son, don't go past the yellow line. No, Dad. And one day, I actually fell because I was so inquisitive. I did go past the yellow line. I went past the edge. I actually fell onto the tracks. 
Now, this was not a Hollywood story where the train came and I dived and forward rolled just in time. But I can tell you that as an eight-year-old, I was petrified. Because not, partly because I disobeyed Dad, but I was on the train tracks. The train might come. I, I knew I was in great danger. Dad set the rule not to prevent my fun, not to prevent me being an inquisitive kid, but for my own benefit, my own protection. His protective heart was showing through. And dads do that all the time. There's another part of God's protection that I think we see in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, where God's wrath comes out because he wants to protect his vulnerable children. His heart is to protect those who can't protect themselves. In Psalm 10, 17 to 18, it says this, You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, Learn to do right, seek justice. What sort of justice? Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. A father's heart is protective. The third thing I want to draw out of this passage is that a father's heart is for growth. It's for growth. Now, how do I, how do I get that out of the Genesis 3 passage? Well, actually, I think discipline is implemented for growth. Here what we see is that there are disciplinary consequences that God puts into place. And, and there are two things about disciplinary, disciplinary consequences. The first one is that they encourage whoever's been disciplined to, to move back in the right direction. So if you're a young adult and uh, you get the car late an hour after curfew, you lose the car for a month. That disciplinary action may help you. Next time, I'm going to get the car back on time. It's something that prompts you, helps you to grow in the right direction. The other part of discipline is that it upholds the authority of the person setting the rules. I enjoy playing basketball. I've been playing, uh, playing with a number of guys from Cary this season. Um, we haven't been very successful, but we've had a lot of fun. But in basketball, you have a referee, you have an umpire. And I've noticed there are two types of umpires. There's a type who, uh, they don't call all the fouls. They sort of let the game go. And those games, somehow, I don't enjoy as much. I don't grow as much through them because I just don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if this is a foul or that's a foul. Neither does anybody else. And it's a difficult environment to work in. There are other umpires who tell us where the rules are. They enforce them. As soon as something happens, blow the whistle, that's a foul. You've done something wrong, that's a disciplinary action. It's very clear. And when you're playing with those umpires, it's much better because you know exactly where you're at. And that umpire is upholding the authority vested in them, the righteous authority, and saying, I'm enforcing these rules. It helps us respect the umpire, and the whole game goes better. Now, God is not an umpire. God is perfect and holy. And the consequence of separation from God and being sent out of the garden is the harshest imaginable, that separation of relationship. And yet, it's the only consequence that could come so that God could uphold his perfect righteousness and holiness. And he's implemented it for our growth so that we don't take him for granted but that we can actually eventually move towards relationship with him where we understand his importance and his perfection. Behind this discipline 
is a father's love. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 to 12, it says this, Don't, dear friend, resent God's discipline. Don't sulk under his loving correction. It's the child he loves that God corrects. A father's delight is behind all this. That's the message version of Proverbs 3, 11 to 12. God knows that the only thing worth growing towards is him. So often his discipline for us is to drive us in that direction. The little boy that I started off talking about, I bet he'd been disciplined by his dad at some point. I bet at some, he might have pushed a sibling or something. He'd been disciplined and yet still in the perceptiveness of his child's heart. When daddy arrived, it was daddy, daddy, daddy. So a father's heart is generous. It's protective and it's for growth. They're the three things we've drawn, drawn from Genesis 3. And I want to turn now to another story to draw out another and our, our last main um, characteristic of a father's heart. And the story I want to turn to is in Luke chapter 15. If you've got your Bible, open, open it to Luke 15, 11 to 32. You might know this story. It's of the lost son, the prodigal son. And uh, Jesus just told a couple of parables And it says in verse 11, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, what what do we see here? First of all, we see again a father's heart of generosity. This father said, to his arrogant son, okay, it is yours. Here, here it is. He's generously not only given him the inheritance, but again, we see a father whose generosity of offering that freedom is going to cost the father. The father knows this is going to hurt him. He knows it's probably not good for the son, and he knows that he will go through grief, and yet he gives that generous gift. And then talking about the son, in verse 14, it says, After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and went to his father. Rembrandt is one of the most famous painters of the world. He was a Dutch guy, lived in the 17th century. This painting is called Return of the Lost Son. Return of the Prodigal Son, I'm sorry. It's currently housed in St. Petersburg in Russia. And Rembrandt was famous because he was able to get amazing emotional detail into his paintings. And I wanted to show this and just talk about it just for a moment. In verse 20 it says, While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. 
The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So what we see here is a son who's repentant. This is not the son who said, give me half of the inheritance and I'm off. The attitude there is is repentant. It's broken. He's shabby and dirty. You can see just next to the father's left hand, his his, uh, tunic is ripped. And in the bigger shot that you saw earlier, and I think we'll see again, you see that he doesn't have a shoe on his left foot. And the father here, the father you can see in his face, grief. Grief of having lost his son and the son's been away for a while. You see a grey beard. Now, it's hard to tell, but how long was the son away? Did some of that greyness come because of the stress of worrying about his son? If you look at his hands, the left hand of the father on our right Rembrandt's painted as a strong hand and it's holding the sun. Son, you're home. And the other hand's just resting. Son, so glad you're here. This is a picture not of a father who says, I told you this wouldn't work out well, but a son who through his grief is compassionate towards his son. You see, a father's heart is full of compassion. 